and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by Pet Planet Equine. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, the Olympics may be over, but we have so much still going on in the horse world. Just this week, we've had the Longines Global Champions Tour in London, where Pedder Fredriksson continued Sweden's brilliant form by taking the top class. And also the NAF five-star Heartbreed International Horse Trials, where a lot of the British combinations who are long-listed for the European Championships in eventing were running. So we have so much happening, coming up, still to look forward to this summer. But we're not letting go of the Olympics quite yet. And we have not one, but two interviews with Olympic show jumpers for you this week. We managed to snatch a few minutes with British individual gold medalist Ben Mayer. And we also spoke to US team silver medalist Laura Kraut, who talked about taking a horse to the games, who she's only been riding since April. It was meant to be. I know a lot of people around me, they thought I'd lost my mind. They're like, what are you doing? <laughs> but um, the horse has so much confidence. It just was all meant to be. I'll be chatting to our news team about modern pentathlon, use of training aids, and a new live streaming model in eventing. Finally, personal trainer Katie Bleekman will give her advice on returning from injury as a rider. My main piece of advice would be, it's not a race, so do not rush it. If you rush just like a horse and you don't give yourself the time you need, you'll probably find that in six months time, you're still struggling with the same issue and you're actually worse off. More from Katie later. So we have so many treats this week. Pull your gold medal on, let's get going. We're going to start today's interviews by hearing from our new British Olympic show jumping champion, Ben Mayer. He managed to squeeze in five minutes on Zoom with my colleague Polly Bryan out in Tokyo soon after his massive success. Ben, hi, thank you so much for joining us. Just tell us, first of all, how you're feeling today. You've had a little bit of time to reflect on the gold medal from yesterday evening. Hi, um, yeah, yesterday was incredible. There's a lot of pressure going into yesterday with uh, people expecting him to produce um, that kind of result. And um, horses make mistakes. I make, athletes make mistakes, but um, everything went to plan. And it was a very, very fast exciting jump off and uh yeah can't can't really quite believe it actually we actually won <laughs> obviously it is a fantastic result for you and for explosion and also for british show jumping we've now had british medals at the last three olympics just tell me your thoughts on that yeah it's been great great for our sport i was obviously uh very lucky to be a part of the team medal in london um which probably was the the change in Changing the bad luck for, for our sport in Olympics was present in Rio. And unfortunately, I didn't uh, medal, but Nick Skelton did. And then I, I stood there and watched watched that happen. And uh, I'm really, I, this is my fourth games now. I understood what it took to win a gold medal. It's no room for error. And uh, I definitely knew I was on the right horse. And maybe I wouldn't get that chance again. Absolutely. And of course, Explosion really is such a special horse. He also has quite a, a unique technique when it comes to actually jumping the fences, doesn't he? It must be amazing to sit on and ride. Yeah, he's uh, he, he's not a typical show jumper or what you would look for. But when you when you sit on him and you feel the the engine, he's, he's like a machine uh, underneath me. And uh, 
naturally so fast in the jump off when I when I cut the corners and angle. Um, he's always had his ears forward. He's always uh, looking. They're like kind of radars, always looking for what I'm asking him to do next. And it just makes makes the difference in those split second decisions. There was there was one jump in the jump off. Uh, I felt a little bit slow, slower than I wanted to be on the first three jumps, and I didn't want to be walking out of the arena feeling I could have done more. So I uh, took a big chance across the middle of the ring to the, the Brown Oxer, I believe. And he, he kind of questioned what I was asking him to do because it was a risky move. And uh, fortunately, he made the right decision and trusted me and everything paid off. Oh, that is so lovely to hear. The trust between you and Explosion is really obvious to see. Just tell me a bit about the first time you ever laid eyes on him and the first time you rode him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a good, good friend of mine in Holland spotted him and um, we we went to try him as a seven-year-old and uh, he jumped great. He was uh, he had his uh, sort of unique way of jumping then, but he was very careful and just loved his attitude, to be honest. But uh, it takes a long time to nurture, nurture sort of a young horse like that into what he's become now. And um, he's been part of a a careful program and uh, he was very advanced for his age as a nine-year-old horse he was already winning um, big competitions nine and ten and then last year was very quiet due to covid um, and i think the break did him good actually so very hard to tell that he was going to become an olympic champion at uh, seven years old but he definitely showed a lot of ability at that time Oh my gosh. And a credit to you for spotting that ability in him as a seven-year-old. You mentioned yesterday Cormac Kenny, your groom. Um, just tell us a little bit about him and the role that he has played in helping you and Explosion get to this point. We all know that grooms are such an important part of this. Yeah, Cormac Kenny, is, uh, he started uh, coming to me when he was 16 years old from Ireland on his school holidays and uh, took a full-time job and really took over from my previous uh, main show groom who was with me for 12 years, I believe. So Explosion is his job. Um, day and night, he uh, takes incredible care of him. I think you could see that yesterday. Even myself, who sees Explosion every day. I saw photos this morning of his fitness and uh, the way he looked. And um, that's a huge, a huge uh, part of what is uh, what brings that success yesterday and um, without Cormac this wouldn't have been possible. Uh, yes of course the grooms are such an incredibly important cog in the wheel. Uh, yesterday you also paid tribute to your whole team and um, and the horse's owners as well who are also of course a very very important part of this. Yeah it's uh, the stables become big now and um, we're, we're a big business and um, we have a lot of staff, um, not all necessarily direct, directly looking after explosion, but in the office and people managing and making sure vets, farriers, everyone's where they need to be all of the time. So uh, it's a big credit to the whole team and my owners of explosion, Charlotte Rosetta and Pamela Wright were fortunately here and they were able to come and support me. And, um, you know, I really felt like I owed this one to them. They've uh, been very supportive and it was lovely to have them here um, with all of our dreams coming true. Oh, and it really, really was a dream result. Ben, thank you so much for joining us on the Horse and Hound podcast. It's been great to just grab a few minutes with you so soon after your amazing win. Congratulations again and look forward to catching up soon. Thank you. 
Hi, I'm Jennifer Donald, show jumping editor at Horse and Hound and following a tremendous Olympic Games for Team USA, who won the silver medal in one of the most nerve wracking and thrilling jump offs I think any of us have ever seen. I'm delighted to be joined this week by Laura Kraut. Laura, welcome and thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Um, well, congratulations, first of all. I'm sure you've barely had a chance to draw breath since Tokyo, but has it all sunk in? How does it feel to have won that Olympic silver medal? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I would say it's it's starting to sink in, but I think the funny part about, you know, you said how exciting the jump off was and, and we were sort of there living it and it was much more stressful than exciting. I will tell you. I can't even imagine. And just take us back to that final day then. You'd, you'd come through a really tough team qualifier. What was the sort of team motivation and spirit like before you went in to compete on Saturday? Well, believe it or not, it was it was really amazing. Our chef to keep Robert Ridland, I, he he's so smart, and I think you know he spent three or four years, five years thinking about this with the new format, and you know he he had basically had us programmed that really Saturday was the only day that we had to be you know basically perfect. Yeah. Um, but leading up to it, like even for the individual qualifier. He kept saying, don't just go in get confidence, get the horse going, you know, don't worry about your score. Don't worry about making the qualifier, which of course, you know, you can imagine Nick is like, that's ridiculous. You, <laughs> yeah. know, you, need, to, you, know, you need to run for the individual. But I think, you know, all of us were really geared towards the team. So on that second, the last night on Friday, um, we each had one down. Yeah. And, you know, obviously no one likes to go and have one down, but he, Robert just kept saying, don't worry about it. Tomorrow's the day We're you know, we're qualified through. So just concentrate on tomorrow. And I think, I think all three of us felt good. You know, I think, um, we were, we were confident in our horses and then it just comes down to luck, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and there's obviously been lots of controversy about the format, but that coming in on a clean slate on, on, you know, for the final did actually work in your favor, didn't it? Oh gosh, I mean, it hugely worked in our favor, and it, as as it was, it, it worked for us. Yeah, um, and we saw you perform brilliantly as the Pathfinder. Is that your preferred role, or did it just work out that way in Tokyo? <laughs> it just worked out that way. Oh, My normal <laughs> slot for the last thirty years has been to go third. That's when I always go, but third in this particular instance meant last yeah. and that's always McLean's spot so uh we left McLean in that spot which I was very happy to do <laughs> and uh I was a little worried just because I still don't know my horse that well um, sure and so I was wanting you know the opportunity to watch some rounds just you know to answer some questions but um it just wasn't going to happen. So yeah. <laughs> I just had to make, had to make do with it. Oh, and Jessie came out with a brilliant quote. She described those sort of closing stages before the jump off. She said it was wild. Everyone had the jitters. I cannot imagine what emotions you were going through before you realized the jump off was coming. You must have, were you sort of following the scores and wondering how it was all going to play out? Well, we, we were. And again, once again, Robert had said all along, he said, this whole thing is, is geared towards having a jump off. There's definitely going to be a jump off and we're going to, and he kept saying, and we're going to be in that jump off. So you oh, need wow. to be prepared, you know, to have <laughs> this many rounds in your horse. And I mean, it's kind of amazing hindsight being what it is that he was, he had it, you know, nailed, but I have actually every championship I've been in so far, I feel like we've been in a jump off. 
So for me, I I kind of figured that it was going to happen. But Jesse, um, she wasn't quite thinking that way. And 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 again, we really thought, um, sort of towards the end there, that we were going to have the bronze medal. That that it, that's just how it was going to happen. And to be perfectly honest, we were very very happy about that. <laughs> and then um, and then when um, Penelope had you know the misfortune she had yes. then peter had the one down all of a sudden it all turned around so exactly and then at that point you did you sort of all dash back to your horses what was did you have a plan of attack did you regroup and chat or did you just get on with it well we kind of had to get on with it because we had 15 minutes and i had already called margo my groom and told her you know she'd been up there already for 20 minutes waiting so i said just okay. have him here have him ready just in case yeah um worst case scenario he can go back to his stable and yeah. have more carrots but um <laughs> anyway so she was there so i hopped on him and uh yeah there wasn't a whole lot of regrouping at all we just we had walked the course we'd walked the jump off we knew exactly what we wanted to do we knew yeah. that it was a very very sharp turn after the first jump oh yeah um which was funny because from the in gate, as I walked up to go in, I looked at it and I asked Kent Farrington, I said, did they move the first jump? Because it doesn't look like you can get inside the water. From where that, where we stood at the gate, it looked like that was not a turn you could actually make. Oh my and gosh. so he said, just go in, look at it. And when I did, I thought, okay, well. I'm, I, you know, it's the Olympics. I'm going to have to give this a go. <laughs> yeah. And talk us through that round. You must have been so thrilled with the way Bellaton you jumped for you. I was just so, so happy with him. He's just an incredible horse. And, you know, I think he, he rose to the occasion right when we needed him to. And mm -hmm. uh, for the jump off, he was just right on it. Um, he's so game and he, he can turn and he, you know, he gallops, he's quick. I was told, you know, Robert said, go in and just put pressure on them. He, nobody wanted me to go sort of flat out, but I felt like the time I had was, yeah, it was good enough. Um, and he, yeah, he just jumped. He, I don't think he touched a jump either round. Oh my goodness. He was just brilliant to watch. And what was your thoughts coming over the finishing line? Was it relief or happiness oh, or what was it? <laughs> all of that, all of that. <laughs> I have to say when I came around the water, and I was galloping and I saw about, you know, I saw far away the one that I wanted. And I thought, oh, oh my God, oh my God, this is, you know, I've got, I've got it. I've got it. And that was wow. actually, you know, when he landed, I thought, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And for my two teammates, they were awesome as well. And, you know, Sweden was just not going to be beaten and, and they really deserved it. I mean, they deserved the win. That's we it. we just gave them we gave them a good run for it, but they <laughs> ultimately, um, yeah, they were incredible all week. And it was it was lovely to see you all sort of congratulating each other afterwards. Did you manage to sort of have a team celebration, or was Tokyo not really the place for crazy crazy nights? Well, we were fortunate that, that we were able to have a, a get together with our team um, back at the hotel. And, oh, brilliant! Uh, yeah. Lizzie and Will Connell had organized food and wine and champagne and oh, so brilliant yeah i think we stayed up until like 3 30 in the morning and then we had to go to the airport at eight so um but yeah i mean you you've got to celebrate that there's yeah. no uh yeah 
no going to bed early on that one. <laughs> Gosh, I'm still getting goosebumps just thinking about it. It was it was a tremendous spectacle anyway. It was great. Um, I just take us back to the start of the games then, the individual qualifier. I mean, you were one of the big names to sadly miss out on day one. Did that make you more determined for the team competition or did you need a bit of a pep talk after that kind of disappointment? How did it all sort of work for you? Yeah, I mean, I was I was definitely disappointed. I I felt like I I didn't understand it was he all three of us had the same fence down the going into the double coming down the last line which was strange and um my you know Valentino he almost never hits jumps so I don't know whether I'd let my guard down or you know what I don't know what happened but it, I was so surprised and then I had the last fence down which I said for sure I think I was I was so shocked I'd had the one before that yeah. I had the, you know, so I was very disappointed just with that. But I was, but on the other side of it, I was thrilled with how he went. You know, he he was really really good, and you know, again, I I don't know him so well, particularly in that sort of a atmosphere. So I was just very happy that he he went in that first night, and he was, you know, he was focused, and he was listening to me and brave and the whole thing so I just was determined to make sure I didn't make any mistakes after that yeah absolutely and he looked like he sort of improved through the week not improved but you know you, you yeah, could he see did. him sort of building in confidence again and uh, to come out and do a performance like that at the end you couldn't have asked for more really could you no I mean that's he did he you know like I said he's the silver medalist I mean he he didn't make a mistake on on the team day he was perfect and uh yeah I think you know prior to this year I don't think he'd ever jumped a five star so he um yeah he had he had his eyes open wide and I think (laughs) you know it took him a day and then he he took a breath and he was just really really good Brilliant. I mean, just tell us the story about him then, because I mean, six months ago, you hadn't even sat on him, I guess, really, had you? No, uh, it, it's just an incredible story. Um, I'm just so it, it's one of those lucky, you know, um, I have a wonderful owner, Barbara, and um, I jumped the five star in Wellington at the end of March with Kung Fu and I had a, had a couple down and um, you know, she said, you know, you, you need another horse. Cause you know, he's getting on in age. And, and I said, well, I said, Barb, listen, there's just, there's not any horses like this out there. And oh. I said, if, if the only way we'll get one is if it's going to have to hit me in the head, I said, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to go out looking, you know, I, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to make a mistake. And about, I don't know, 10 days later, Katie Prudent came to me and said, listen, we've decided that we will sell the horse, but they would only sell him to myself or Beezy or, you know, that sort of a rider. So I was lucky enough to call my owner. And after a bit of discussion, we tried him and we officially had him bought on April 9th. So, wow, so just, just in time, in time. <laughs> just in time. So it was, uh, it was, it was meant to be. I know a lot of people around me, they thought I'd lost my mind. They're like, what are you doing? <laughs> but um, the horse has, he has so much confidence um, mm. that, you know, yeah, it just was all meant to be. Amazing. And you, you came out and won straight away. Did you click straight away or has there been anything you had to work on with him? Not, uh, I mean, I clicked straight away with him in that he's exactly what I like to ride. I mean, he's like riding a thoroughbred. 
Um, so he's like, uh, in fact, at the Olympics is the first time I've ever used even a small spur. I normally don't even put a spur on. Um, but I think that the main thing is we just, you know, at that bigger level, we needed to know sort of what, what was the right decision is, you know, cause he can gallop and jump, but is it, or should he, you know, add one and slow down and jump. And, you know, it was just those little intricate questions that you, you know, you don't know until you try. Sure. So I, yeah, I mean, even in the, even in the first round or the qualifier for the team, there were two lines, uh, one after the triple and then the one to the double that walked completely on a half stride. And I thought, I don't, I don't really know what is the right answer. Oh, yeah, of course. So I, um, I just made him, you know, I, I thought, I'll make him add and, and hopefully that's the right, right thing to do. And it was, so that again, gave me confidence going into the last day. Oh my gosh. Did he feel different out in Tokyo? Did he know, is there something special or something different or did he sort of just get on with it? Oh yeah. I don't think he knew. I think, you know, he's like the happiest horse. There was plenty of grass. (laughs) There was plenty of uh, dirt so he could roll. He rolls (laughs) on the end of the line. Um, the, the conditions out there for the horses were incredible. I mean, they, their stables were huge and beautiful and air conditioned. Amazing. And, um, I think he, he, he liked all the attention. I, think. <laughs> I bet. And I saw you sh- shared a great video of him arriving back home. Is he going to have a break now? What are the plans with him for the, the rest of the year? Well, he will have a little break. And then actually the plan was I'm going to take him to Aachen which is in a month, a month's time. Mm-hmm. And then probably possibly Barcelona. Brilliant. And then I think he'd be finished. Um, but yeah, I mean, he came off the truck ready to go. I mean, I <laughs> think was... if I took him to a show this week, he'd be fine. Yeah. But, um, no, he's, he's in the paddock today. He's bucking and rolling and doing what Lovely. he loves to do. So he's happy. So good. And I mean, Paris is only three years away and he's only 11. Do you think he could take you there too? Do you think? I hope so. I think that that would be, I mean, 14 is a great age mm-hmm. and I was thinking about it. It'd be, it'll be, it would be nice to go in a championship where I actually knew him. Um, <laughs> yes. So uh, actually I'm, I'm hoping, I mean, we'll, we'll be thinking towards next year in um, Herning, Denmark for the world championships. Yeah. Oh, that would be so. fantastic. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and finally, you're, of course, you're no strangers to the Olympic podium, having won Team Gold in 2008 with one of our all-time heroes, Cedric. Um, just take us back to that amazing day. What are your favorite memories of those games in Hong Kong? Oh, gosh. Well, I, I think, again, it was all down to a jump off. Yeah. And what was really funny about that is um, none of us thought that it was going to happen. So none of us were prepared. I mean, Cedric was back in the stable. Oh, my and that's gosh. why that's why this time I was organized <laughs> because the last time we were not organized. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, I think that was such an incredible moment in because, OK, BZ and Authentic and McLean and Sapphire, those were two just epic partnerships yeah and then Cedric was you know young and green and and not you know the most reliable and the Mm -hmm. fact that he pulled through and and did what he had to do um it was it was really special it was yeah really great and can you remember when your Olympic dream sort of first started were you galloping around in on ponies (laughs) is that when it all sort of sparked for you 
Um, actually, probably not. I think um, in America, I grew up riding hunters and hunter ponies and um, the jumpers weren't really sort of, I didn't even ride a show jumper until I was 19. Um, but I would say probably when LA happened, um, and, and, you know, we had, we won the gold and won the gold and the silver individual, and, you know, that was when I first sort of thought, oh, that looks good. Yeah. <laughs> I like the looks, I like the looks of that. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I ever really dreamt it would happen until, you know, until I, I did it, which was in Barcelona. That was sort of the first year I ever even thought about it. And then of course, after it, I was I was bitten by the Olympic bug. <laughs> and here you are now, double Olympic medalist. It's uh, It's got a nice ring to it, I think. <laughs> it, it does. It does. I'm very happy. <laughs> Laura, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you. I could happily relive these wonderful moments for, you know, over and over again. It's just been, it's great to hear. So thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's great to relive it here. And it's much less stressful this time around. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm here with all three members of our news team. So first of all, it's hello to our news editor, Eleanor Jones. Hi, Eleanor. Morning. How are you? Good, thank you. I've actually been riding again for the first time since I think it was May. Regular uh, regular listeners will remember that uh, my little horse that I share with my mum, Alfie, had some time off uh, with, with a bit of lameness and uh, mum has been bringing him back into work while I've been out in Tokyo and I actually rode last weekend, so that was ah, great. Brilliant. Yeah. How about you? What have you been up to? Oh, the most, I think, exciting point of the last few days has been actually finally getting the hay done, sorted out, middle of August, and we finally got the hay in the barn. So that was amazing. Oh, that is always a relief when you've got that safely in the rain and the timings oh, and everything. Um, and we also have with us today our senior news writer, Lucy Elder. How are you, Lucy? I'm good, thank you, Pippa. I'm really excited this week, actually. Um, it's all go. I fly off to Tokyo um, to cover the Paralympics. So lots of tests, lots of lots of preparations going on, but I absolutely can't wait. Yeah, so uh, we've been uh, catching up with Lucy this week to give her all the intelligence that uh, Polly and I garnered during our trip to Tokyo for the Olympics that she can then take forward to covering the Paralympics. But yeah, really exciting that uh, obviously it's not over with the Olympics. We have more great horse sport coming up out of Japan in the next few weeks. Best of luck with all the tests and paperwork printing, Lucy. <laughs> Thank you. I thought uh, I've got a heck of a lot of stationery. I feel like I should be going back to school or something. But um, yeah, getting there with all the printing. Yeah, I do like it. I do like a good pencil case, it has to be said. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and finally, we have with us Becky Murray, our news writer. How are you, Becky? I'm well. To be honest, it's been quite a quiet few weeks here with me and my mares, which, to be honest, is usually a good thing when it comes to Shetland ponies. But um, my Connie mare, Chloe's actually been recovering. She was a bit unwell through the summer. So we actually got the okay last week to start building her up again slowly. So hopefully I'll get some riding in before I blink and summer is over. Oh, that's good. Yeah, before it starts, you get a bit more of your Scottish weather in the autumn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think we've had all the Scottish weather down here in Kent. It's freezing. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on and talk about the uh, talk about the serious news. Eleanor, you and I talked last week in this slot about the distressing scenes at the modern pentathlon in Tokyo, and you've been following up on this story more this week. And I know you spoke to John Leddingham, who has show jumped at the Olympics. He's been the Irish modern pentathlon coach. What points did he raise on this? 
Uh, yeah, so um, I've been speaking to, obviously, we've had a, a lot of letters uh, about this, haven't we, at Horse and Hound? And um, yeah, I was, I was speaking to John Leddingham, who I hadn't actually realised had been uh, a modern pentathlon coach at three Olympics. And he said, you know, I had tears in my eyes as, as I watched that, he said, because uh, the principles of fairness and animal welfare were trampled underfoot. Um, and he's saying, he's one of a, a good few people saying this can never happen again. So he has made, uh, as someone who has been part of the sport, has made some suggestions that he hopes could improve the format of it. Um, he said that in some other non-Olympic pentathlon competitions, not all the athletes qualify for the riding phase. So maybe if you've come in as someone who is good in one of the other elements, you that may be less uh sort of motivation to work on your riding um you know and obviously here in our UK and Ireland we've got the pony club and there's a lot of pentathletes who come through that but a lot of countries don't have that same uh basis um he did raise some concerns about the horses who were who were picked for the Tokyo event which he says have to have you know experience and a record and, and be used to different riders um and and pointed out that Saint Boy that the horse had um shown some similar behavior with a previous athlete but there were some misconceptions he was trying to clear uh, to clear up some people were saying that uh Annika the German rider who who had the bad experience could have picked a substitute horse but actually she couldn't um but yeah he he made some suggestions such as a shorter course no double or treble combinations maximum of say 110 and he actually said that uh, a lot of other world cup and and qualifier courses are only a meter to 105 um and and he also believes each horse should only be ridden by one competitor okay so some interesting suggestions there in terms of moving things forward from this point after the problems in Japan. And who else did you speak to, Eleanor, about this? Um, we also spoke to uh, Harry Sykes, who used to be a pentathlete, competed internationally for Britain and is now still show jumping. Um, and he one in really interesting thing he said was he once asked a professional show jumper what his opinion of the modern pentathlon was. And he said athletes ride to complete, not compete. Um, and he said there does seem to be a view among uh, some of the pentathletes that the riding is just something they have to do and that it is almost luck of the draw. A good horse will get you round, a difficult one won't. And it's sort of, well, you know, it's just another tool. You might be lucky, you might not be. Um, and he, he agreed with John that about the height difference and that a smaller course uh, might help, but also believes that um, he thinks there should be a, a proficiency test, you know, that's the same globally. So in order to compete at a certain level, you must have passed this certain standard of a riding test. But his, his big thing is that education is key. It needs to be made sure that the officials entirely know the rules. So if, say, a horse falls, that's it. They know that's elimination. And also that the riders need to be better educated on horsemanship and, and respect for horses. Mm, OK. And obviously this sport isn't administrated by the FEI, who are the governing body internationally who look after our Olympic eventing, dressage, show jumping, as well as some other non-Olympic disciplines internationally. But the FEI have offered some help. Is that right? Yeah, so the, the FEI uh, President Ingmar DeVos has been in touch with the UIPM, which is the global governing body uh, for, for pentathlon, modern pentathlon. And uh, the UIPM is going to take them up on a meeting so that they can, the FEI can share their knowledge uh, and experience and, and help them out on improving horse welfare. And what's the response from the UIPM, that governing body? 
So they, they've said they, they've announced some measures that they've said they want to, quote, urgently protect horse welfare. Uh, they're going to have a working group reviewing the Tokyo Games, making recommendations. They're going to look at whether they need to make changes to their own code of ethics for welfare. Um, they are going to draft modifications to the riding rules to suit uh, a new format, which does mean fewer jumps and lower lower obstacles. And there will be new guidelines and education on welfare for, for competitors and coaches. Okay, well, good to see some some movement anyway there after all those problems. And as Eleanor said, we've had such a massive post bag on this at Horse and Hound. We've got some letters in this week's magazine. We'll probably have a few in next week's as well, but it's definitely caught our readers' attention. Thank you, Eleanor. Now, Becky, coming to you, you have been looking at a new study into the use of training aids. Can you give, give us a bit of an overview of that study and what it found? So this was a study by researchers at the Free University of Berlin. The study aimed to examine how much knowledge owners have regarding training aids such as side reins and draw reins, and it also included running martingales and some others, and basically whether these were being used appropriately by owners. More than 800 people took part in a questionnaire type survey and it asked things like why people use these aids, when people attach say side reins and whether they adjust them and what the horse's head position should look like while using them. And, and what sort of results did they find? Reasons for using training aids included um, problems with the horse leaning and it was found sort of owners based using them on external advice or they said they'd been using them since training had started with that horse. Um, 296 people use training aids mainly for lunging and most only attached them after the warm-up phase but I also found half participants did not adjust them during the entire session. Mm, interesting and, and and in conclusion they sort of decided there was a bit of a lack of a lack of information about for, among owners about when they should use those things and different effects is that right? That's right the researchers found there was a need for clarification about the pros and cons of using these training aids and while the, it found the majority of people felt they had enough knowledge some of these findings suggested there was a need for people to really understand a bit more and for example some owners were adjusting the horse's head too, too tightly and I think you spoke to Sharon Hunt, who obviously Olympic eventer, accredited coach, and got some thoughts from her. What did she say? Well, Sharon thought it was a very interesting study. She believes there is a time and a place for training aids if they're being used correctly. She said riders need to be trained in using these sorts of things, and the riders should really be asking why they're using them and, you know, really what they're trying to achieve. There's no point in using something if the horse is unhappy or where a horse is leaning, sticking something on it is quite likely to make the problem worse in some cases. Yeah, I would have thought having that real fixed rein wouldn't really help with the horse that's leaning on the bit, which is an interesting reason for using them. Well, thank you, Becky. Um, it's really interesting that, you know, I think training aids are controversial in the horse world. And it's interesting that there's been some actual science brought to bear on them, um, I think, in that study. Thank you. Lucy, you have been working on a story about live streaming for the one-off five-star event at Bicton this autumn. Tell us, it's a new model that's being used there. How's this going to work? It's an interesting one, this. I was quite excited to read about it when it landed in my inbox this week. So Elite Eventing TV, which is from the brains behind the Event Rider Master Series, are going to be showing the action from Bicton uh, in September on a new pay-per-view channel, which is going to be broadcast via Horse and Country TV streaming service. So the trot-up and the dressage are going to be free to watch. 
and then viewers will have to pay to watch the jumping phases and the weekend viewing price is going to be set at £25 or £20 for horse and country members. Um, coverage will also be available on catch up for 90 days. But what's interesting about this is that once the first 5,000 viewing passes are sold, a total of £7.50 from each of those will be put into the Elite Vending Fund. And then from this fund, this creates an additional prize pot, if you like, uh, for the competitors at Bicton, so for the top 10. So for the five star itself, it's set out in the in the, in the the FEI schedule of how much the you know official prize money is, which I believe is 125,000 euros with around 40,000 euros going to the winner. But what this creates is an additional prize pot on top of that, which kind of tops it up, if you like. So, and there's no limit on it. So first place will receive 30, 32% of the extra prize money um, down to 10th receiving 1%. Okay, interesting. And is the idea to roll this out to more events in the future? Yes, it is. It's, I mean, Bicton's where it's making its debut, but the idea and the hope is, is that this could be something that other, other top level events um, can use as well. Uh, Chris Stone, who is co-founder of the Event Ride Master Series and owns Elite Eventing TV, he said, um, and I quote, what we're clear on is that this new model is a not a profit making enterprise, but a new and responsible route to bringing additional investment back into the sport and creating that direct link between the fans or audience and the sport that they love. Really interesting. And it's a fascinating concept. I have to say that I am a bit sceptical about whether there will actually be any more prize money at Bicton because of that, simply because the way this works is they have to sell 5,000 passes before income from each additional pass dose going back into the prize fund. And I just know that people can be very reluctant to pay for anything online. And I think that people who already pay for horse and country might resent the feel of paying for something twice. And uh, it'll be really interesting to see how this takes off and whether there is any more money into the prize fund. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm, I I would be surprised if they get more than 5,000 passes sold, but I hope I'm wrong. Lucy, we've also just been looking at the entries for Bicton. Uh, we are recording this at lunchtime on Tuesday. So the entries have pretty much just closed and there are only 37 horses on the list, which is a bit disappointing, I think, don't you? I do. I I hope we see some more come in. I think it's it's interesting on lots of levels. And going back to the elite eventing TV kind of model, I mean, I'm really supportive of this and whether 5,000 is achievable or not. And like you, Pippa, I really hope it is, is I'd love to see this work. What I find most exciting is that people are coming up with ways to fund eventing, uh, sort of new ways, if you like. I mean, we know horses are expensive, the sport's expensive, and we've got to find that money from somewhere. And if it can be something that really does bring in chunks of cash, you know, on a sort of rolling basis across other events, then that I hope it could only be a good thing. And I guess as well, you can only move forwards and find those great new ideas by trying them and seeing what works. And we know what the ERM team have been capable of in the past and to have the brains behind that in the sports corner and thinking up new ways. I think that's something to be welcomed. But yeah, like you, I hope we see a few more roll in for Bicton. And um, I'm feeling very positive this week and I've got everything crossed that we will. 
<laughs> I like your positivity, Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> as I say, the, uh, the the date on the BE website was noon today, Tuesday, as the, as the ballot date. That is down as the is down as the closing date being today on the FEI schedule. So not sure if there's a little bit of leeway for a few extras to come in, but it looks like it will be a boutique field, shall we say? But there are some good horses in it for sure. Piggy March has got Veneer Kamira, the winner of the last badminton running in there. Tim Price has got Ringwood Skyboy, former Burley winner. Um, so there are some there are some good horses in there. There are some young up and coming horses and it's always exciting to have a five star even if it's a slightly smaller field than we might have hoped for well thank you lucy for joining me today and thank you to becky and eleanor too pet plan equine offers a variety of flexible horse insurance and rider insurance policies catering for all levels of experience from the happy hackers to the dressage stars Visit www.petplanequine.co.uk to find out more about the insurance that Pet Plan Equine provides. So now we're going over to Katie Bleakman, an online fitness coach and personal trainer specialising in equestrian athletes. Katie is evented to a high level, winning Team Silver at the Eventing Pony Europeans, and now riders all over the world can benefit from her online coaching programme, Event Rider Fitness. Over to you, Katie. Today we're going to be talking about returning from injuries and how you get yourself fit after an injury. And first of all, I just want to make sure that you guys have been given the all clear from the doctor. So if you have had an injury, everything I'm going to discuss is only applicable to you and would be safe to do if your doctor has given you the all clear to begin your recovery process and your rehabilitation. So often a question that many of you have probably sat there and asked yourself is after this injury, how am I going to get myself fit? And obviously if you're riding full time or you make a living out of it, you're probably, um, you know, relying on your physical ability to be able to ride every day and keep yourself moving to make a living. Even more so if you're an amateur rider and maybe you end up having a minor injury or you hurt yourself, getting yourself back physically fit and getting yourself to a point where at the weekend you're ready to ride is absolutely crucial to making sure that you really rehab yourself to stronger than you were before. And your approach with your training, in my view, should always be prehab rather than rehab. So what you are doing in the gym or at home is building this really strong and um, really like prehabbing your body to avoid injury. However, having said that, when you're riding horses, we all know that things happen and often, you know, you're going to fall off, you're going to hurt yourself. And that is just part of it. And that's where tailoring your training around you and understanding how to handle your injuries to get yourself back as quick as you can comes in. So in terms of how you can get yourself fit after injury, I wanna touch on things that aren't physical for a minute. So there's lots of um, therapies out there that can help you post injury. So things like saunas, saunas are great for um, making you feel good, helping you to release soreness, and they can really help to improve and speed up the recovery process. Ice baths help to regenerate the red blood cells and help your body to deal with inflammation. There's been a lot of evidence and studies done as well to show that they can really help to improve your mindset and your mental ability to cope with certain situations as well. So you see a lot of um, athletes and equally, I know Boyd Martin did this at Kentucky this year, getting in an ice bath after cross country to make sure that he basically has um, all of the 
recovery he has as quick as possible so that he can be in the best possible position the next day. And it really will help your body to deal with that inflammation. Massage is another therapy you could use and it increases the circulation in your body and basically just speeds up the whole recovery process. And alongside all these amazing therapies and techniques out there, and one thing I would suggest is that if you have had an injury, you obviously go and see a qualified physio um, or a chiropractor or an osteopath and somebody that actually helps you to understand what you have done and how best to recover yourself and start to rebuild strength. But the other big part of uh, recovery would be your nutrition and this is a huge one for injury so when you're recovering your body is returning from a trauma and it's dealing with a high level of inflammation and you want to help your body to be able to repair itself if you're eating rubbish and you're eating a lot of processed foods you're just going to increase this inflammation and your body's not going to be able to handle the inflammation that's going on and what this means is that when you're injured this is going to take you much longer to recover and come back in the long run so if you are currently you know sat with a broken leg or a broken shoulder and you're eating i don't know quavers and diet coke you might just want to stop and think okay i want to get back and i want to get myself back on the horse as soon as possible what can i do to get myself there and these are all things that you should be considering and um, you could be doing to get yourself back there quicker obviously when i'm talking about injuries i'm talking about relatively superficial problems like maybe a sore back or um you know you've had a large bruise or equally you've had some broken bones and I know I'm saying superficial, but we've all been there. We've bashed a collarbone. I know I've got kicked in the leg plenty of times. And I'm not a physiotherapist or I'm not a chiropractor, but these are all things to do that could help to get you back stronger than you were before and potentially quicken up the recovery process. Obviously, with things like broken bones, it's going to take a set amount of time to heal. But there's other things that you could be doing in the meantime to help yourself. And equally, if you have broken something, like I said, like you need to give the bone the, and your body that amount of time to heal. But then as well, you want to start moving and getting the mobility back, getting the muscles working again so that you don't find that in, say, three months time, you haven't moved the muscles or the joint in a while. And then you're having problems with your mobility and you've had a lot of muscle wasted from sitting down, not using your body. If you think of it in the perspective of a horse, if a horse did a tendon, you wouldn't just leave it. OK, yes, you put him on box rest for a set amount of time but then you would start to rehab him. It's not like you're just going to leave him in the stable, do nothing at all and hope for the best. You would make sure you're feeding him well. You, when the time comes and the vets obviously give you the all clear, you start getting on the water treadmill, you start walking out, you start doing small bits of exercise and the same should apply to you. I know when I broke my collarbone a few years ago and I had, um, I think it was six weeks to get to Alden um, 3 there then and um, I didn't think I'd get there. I went to a physio, I had really good treatment and I really prioritised it. I had treatment twice a week, I did strength exercises every single day that were obviously suitable to where I was but I kept myself fit. I went for walks, I still went on a bike, um, a static bike obviously with one arm um, but there's loads of things you can be doing just because you've maybe got a broken leg. It doesn't mean that you can't still go into the gym and you can still train your upper body or you can still do your core exercises. So there are lots of things that you can do. So you really want to think about how well you're eating and hydrating yourself when you're returning from injury and equally things like sleeping like you know your body repairs when you are sleeping and your sleep is absolutely crucial to how your body repairs and recovers from both injury but equally competitions and training so you really really want to prioritize your sleep. Asking yourself whether you can train through injuries as well, obviously that should always come after you've consulted a qualified physio or um, 
osteopath but like i said you can train other parts of the body if a specific area is incapacitated it's just about making sure what you are doing is going to benefit and help to strengthen the other areas and keep you moving without doing any further damage to um, the broken area or equally putting your body under too much stress you could always in this time focus on possibly um, building your weaker areas or focusing on more accessory movements so say you know that your tricep strength is very limited if you've got a broken leg there's no reason why you can't be um, working your triceps so the back of your arms while sitting down um, and strengthening you know your smaller muscles alongside doing your bigger compound lifts so there's lots you can do when you're returning from injury and these are all important considerations that you need to think about rather than just trying to jump in rush and get you going one thing i would always say as well is when you're returning from injury and it's a lot easier to you know this comes practice what you preach it's a lot easier to be told this than to actually do it but is think about how that's going to influence you in the long term if you rush just like a horse and you don't give yourself the time you need you'll probably find that in six months time or in a year's time you're still struggling with the same issue and you're actually worse off so make sure you give your body the time it needs really consider all the other therapies that you could be doing and other things that you could do to help yourself have a big think about your diet and your overall quality of lifestyle in terms of how your stress levels are your sleep your recovery and then if you think it is sensible and you've got the all clear to train through it then maybe start to think about how you can build a program that keeps you fit and keeps you moving keeps your mobility there without doing any other damage or exasperating the injury i hope that all made sense and that is going to help you along the way with your own fitness and riding journey if you want any more information on any of the topics that i have discussed today then please feel free to add yourself into my facebook group if you search kkb fit you can add yourself into the group and join all of my other riders and me who are all working hard to better themselves and improve their riding thank you katie next week katie will be back to talk about the importance of aerobic fitness for riders our interview will be with working hunter producer and rider Katie Green, talking about how she trains the novice horse. And of course, we'll have all the week's news as normal. Thank you for listening to today's Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by Pet Plan Equine. Talk to you next week. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.